Welcome to the New Abbey Podcast. We are a Jesus community telling the biggest story of God in Los Angeles. We're excited that you're joining the conversation with us today. Enjoy. At New Abbey, we believe in conversation because we believe that God is speaking through all of us, not just the people on stage. Um, and so with that, I want you to find three or four people around you to have a conversation with. And we have a light conversation. If you have kids, you can decide if they can be in the room for this. Um, is who gave you the sex talk and what did they say? Enjoy. Uh, for me, who gave me the sex talk was nobody. What they talked about was nothing. Um, I just learned to grow up in the dark like most other teenagers did uh, until it was too late. And then I had a youth pastor who told me about purity culture. I signed a lot of cards. I had the ring and, you know, the rest is history. I carried guilt and shame. Um, yeah, it was good times. The point of it, though, is, is this idea, though, of empowerment that sometimes what we've done in the world of sex education is we didn't empower anybody. What we did in the church is we told people things that you cannot do, didn't always explain as to why that was the case, just that there was a God out there who would be angry if you did it because this God has an arbitrary list of sin that is mad at you if you do certain things, but then really didn't talk about the implications of just health and goodness and what might this look like, what might healthy sexuality and unhealthy sexuality look like. And our job as human beings is to empower. We live in 2022 in Los Angeles. We just have better information now than we did before. A few years back, my wife had bought all these books on sex because we were going to begin to talk to our oldest kid who just turned nine about sex. And uh, we were leaving for vacation one day. She's like, hey, have you seen these books around that I buy? I said, no, they're probably on my bookshelf. We'll talk about it later. We get back from vacation and my nephew who's watching my kids says, what is your problem? Why did you leave those books out for Caden to read? I'm like, what? Apparently, while you've been on vacation, he's been reading them every night and badgering me about sex questions. Our job is done here. Amazing. So we're in the car heading to the beach, and out of nowhere, Caden says, just so you know, I know how babies are made now. I said, oh, well, tell me more. He says, well, you need a sperm, and you need an egg, and so a penis has a sperm, and an egg comes in a vagina, right? And so you, a penis goes into a vagina, and that's how babies are made. And I said, that is, that is accurate. I said that I would never lie to you. Then my middle son was a little bit more curious. If there's kids in the room, I told you it's your choice to leave them in the room. So I will take no responsibility for what's going on from here. (laughs) Then my middle son says to me, so wait a minute, you put your penis in mom's vagina? (laughs) Then a few months later, grandpa and grandma were in town. Grandpa, being a conservative Baptist pastor from Wisconsin, And I say to my oldest kid, oh my gosh, why are you so handsome? Because God made you that way? He says, God didn't make me that way. You made me when you put your penis in mom's vagina. And then once again, the second kid says, so grandma, you made mom when Papa put his penis in your vagina? Welcome to New Abbey on a Sunday morning. The point of the story is that we're trying to empower people in 2022 to make healthier decisions because we have better information. 
And I would rather that than my kid had access to a bunch of education to ask bigger questions about the world and how the body works and who he is as a human being versus nobody telling him anything or versus giving him a version of sexuality and humanity that's just simply repressive. Because what we want to look at is always things in a healthy way is how does this affect my mental health and my emotional health and my spiritual health? The idea of it is not just a list of do's and don'ts. We're not talking about Santa Claus here. We're talking about the God of the universe. And this God of the universe cares about our thriving. And because this God of the universe cares about our thriving, this God wants to empower us as human beings to make healthy decisions. We're in the book of Exodus as a community, and we only have one more week till next week. I know everyone goes, aww. But then in September, we start Leviticus, and everyone got real excited. There we go. Church growth plan, people. Nothing gets people more excited than sacrificial laws. That in Exodus, we often think that it's the story of pyrotechnics. It's the big moment where God comes in, saves the Israelites from slavery, God splits the Red Sea, and it's all the salvation work of God. But the rabbis talk about the story in a completely different way. They say, no, 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 this is a salvation moment of Yahweh. But the rest of the book after that is God trying to teach us how to grow up on our own. The rabbis talk about Yahweh in this way, that Yahweh is the liberator and the educator. In Christianity, we have similar language. Jesus is the Savior and the Lord. The thing in American Christianity over the last 200 years, we focus on Savior so much that every week you come to a church and we tell you about the Savior, and we haven't historically done a good job of teaching you about Jesus as the educator. Lord, that Jesus says, follow me. I want to show you a way of life that's different. That would be like you showing up to a gym every week and they sit you down in a room and they convince you as to why you need to start working out. And you're like, I'm down, I want to start working out. And then you never work out. And every week you come back and they get you in the room again like, and here's why you need to work out. And you're like, I'm down. And then you never work out. But the point of the story is, no, Jesus says, would you come and follow me? Jesus actually never says I came to die to save you from something. Jesus says I came that you would follow me so that you would build a different reality and a different kingdom and a different perspective in this world. Jesus was about saving us for things and liberating us for things so that we then can go and save ourselves and be a part of the salvation of the world. We have always been co-creators in this story. But the problem with that is, is that we have relegated the story that it's all God's work and really not a lot of our work. And then the problem is it didn't work out for you. You raised your hands. You did the thing. And I'm not like trying to poo-poo on those moments. I am so thankful for those moments in my life. I experienced and encountered God in a profound way. I'm just saying we're growing up as a civilization, and we can do better as a church. Let's still praise and thank God for the, for the ways that God saves and liberates us, and let's just become healthier human beings who learn to follow this way of Jesus in a much healthier way. Today, I want to think about this big idea of divine empowerment. The rabbis gave me this idea, and it goes like this. I will save you, but then I will teach you to save yourselves. That's how the rabbis think about the book of Exodus. And I think that's how we want to think about who we are as followers of Jesus in Los Angeles in 2022. We want to be participants in the salvation story. We don't just want to live in some fatalistic story where God does all of the things, and we sit down and wait for the rapture to happen, my friends. Instead, we want to say, no, there's a bigger, more beautiful world out there, and there's a bigger story that can hold the complexities of humanity, and we want to be a part of that. So to talk about divine empowerment, we're going to talk about some things. We're going to talk about 
remembering. And if we can remember, then we'll talk about the isms in this world. And if we can think about the isms in this world, then we'll talk about Ted Lasso. I mean, because come on, who just didn't need that kind of hope in your life in like 2020, right? It was so good. We were all like just depressed in a pandemic. And then this little ball of light comes on television and reminds us that it's good to laugh and be happy. And there's just beauty in the world. Oh, praise God. All right. Then if we can talk about Ted Lasso, then we can talk about responsibility. And if we can talk about responsibility, then we'll talk about specifics and self-awareness. And if we can talk about that, then, you know, YouTube, 23andMe, and the University of California, San Francisco. You see where I'm going on a Sunday morning. And if we can do that, well, you know, the F word. Great. Let's see. Let's see. Let's see if I actually get there. Some of you are still waiting for Beyonce. It's coming. If you were here, you know. If you weren't, you can always follow us online, podcasting, YouTube, wherever they are found. Follow along with me in Exodus chapter 20. And God spoke all these words, I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Everything that happened before this is that God came in and then God found Moses and God said to Moses, just so you know, I remember. I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I made a covenant with some people. I have saved them before. I will save them again, and I will always be there for you. In fact, it even says, I have heard your misery. I have heard your groaning. And praise God, that's who God is. That the story of God, that the story of Jesus is always the God who moves towards us and says, I hear where you're at and I come and find you there. You shall have no other gods before me. These are the Ten Commandments, by the way. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything above heaven or earth, beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I am the Lord your God. I'm a jealous God, punishing the children for the sins of the parents of the third and fourth generation. Everybody's life first of those who hate me but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commands. I'm not preaching on this at all, but that part, but I'll just say it again. Man, how many of us know this to be true in our family lives? Not about the sins of a generation like it's magical, but how many just know about trauma that gets passed on or blessing that gets passed on? How many of us just have been in that cycle of insanity where there's just pain that our family members do and we're like, man, we just don't want to be in that cycle anymore? Exodus is about that. Exodus is saying is what if we don't have to do that anymore? What if we don't have to be on that carousel? Just because your parents acted that way, your grandparents acted that way, anyone ever live in a family? That's just the way that we do things around here. That's not what I want to do around here. We're going to do things differently around here. And this is what Exodus is inviting us into. There's all kinds of things that we need to be liberated from. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord. Uh, remember the Sabbath day. Six days you shall labor, do your work. You got to rest. All the other, like, everyone should rest. Keep going. If you want to read this again, uh, you have Google. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh. Honor your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. Seems pretty apparent, like that one. You know, kind of like unsaid. Like you didn't need to say that one, but a good one to repeat. Uh, you shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. Uh, don't say lies about your neighbor, and don't covet your neighbor's house, their wife, um, Ox and donkey, that's a big one today. Uh, and anything that belongs to your neighbor. The Ten Commandments is the transition point in the book of Exodus. This is the moment that we go from liberator to educator. This is the moment that we go from savior to Lord. God has already shown up and does the things that God's supposed to do. And now God is saying, it's time for you to grow up. It's time for you to participate some things in that I want. Again, a lot of the ways that I grew up in conservative evangelicalism is we always talked about the things that God was saving us from 
but we didn't talk about a lot of the things that God is saving us for. That we spend a lot of time worried about hell and the rapture and the bad things that might happen to us if I said God's name in vain or ever thought of a boob. But we didn't, you didn't see that coming, that's good. But we didn't always prepare ourselves for living out this more robust view of kingdom and reality and perspective of what it could mean to be a human being in this world and how that might change generations and generations to come. And so not only Moses in this mountain, but the entire people of God are at the mountain and they're hearing this revelation from God about what God has for them, about how they might live into their lives in a bigger and more beautiful way. And so the first thing I want to think about is just simply this idea of remembering, that remembering is a powerful tool in our lives as people of faith because it's easy to forget. There's a priest that used to live in Pasadena, and he would always say this phrase, that church gathering, church services are simply about reversing the amnesia of the world. Because we easily forget. We forget the things that are going on in our lives, and we come into this place, and we share good news, and you have a conversation. We come to scripture and tradition. We sing some songs. We do all of this to remember that God has been there before. God, that you are good that you are good, that you are good. And sometimes I forget that reality, but I need that reality in my life because at times there are isms that feel bigger than me. And those isms become the gods in our world that we give more energy to, and we give more energy to those things. We forget about the saving work or the liberation that God has given us over many things in our lives. A couple examples. We live in a culture and our favorite God is, of course, capitalism. And I'm not even here, it's not all good or bad. That's not the point. Capitalism is a functional tool because you don't want to trade seashells to go to Trader Joe's. And yet it's an oppressive tool because it doesn't always work out the same for everybody. And so it's just a tool. But sometimes we make this tool a God in its own way. Racism is a God that has been used by people in this country to control others, to say that some are better than others. We have things like evangelicalism that has become its own God where we're more worried about the tenets of this thing that's been around like 200 years, by the way. And we say, this is orthodoxy. This is not orthodoxy. That thing is not even orthodoxy in the world today. Did you know that evangelicals make up less than 5% of Christians worldwide today? And less than like 1% of 1% of Christians worldwide in the history of humanity? And I'm not here to poo-poo on evangelicalism. All that I'm saying is it's a very modern interpretation of Scripture. It's a very modern interpretation of theology in Jesus. And sometimes we put that thing on a pedestal above God. We say, this is the thing that you need to follow instead of following the way of God. All of these things can be helpful. There are parts of evangelicalism that can be helpful. There are parts of capitalism that can be helpful. There's nothing about racism that can be helpful, by the way. Clear that one up in case you want to come back to one later. There's many isms that they're there because they're tools, and there are many isms that they're there, and they're just oppressive. And it's our job to responsibly look at those and say, oh, but that's not, that's not the goal. The goal was never to be Democrat or Republican. The goal was to follow a way of Jesus that transforms and heals the rest of the world. I love this phrase about Jesus, that wherever Jesus went, he spread the good news, and he healed everybody, is what the Gospel of Matthew says. Who doesn't want that version of Jesus? That wherever he went, he left them better than he found them. That sounds like a way of life that I want to be a part. If these isms over here do not leave people better than they found them, you don't have to participate with them. 
Or you can be revolutionary against them, you can work against them, and we can create a better world together. Those are the things that we're about. So if we're going to remember, there's some things that we want to participate in. And some of these things are things that we left behind when you've been deconstructing, deconstructing or figuring out what's next in your life, but they're still good things to pick back up. Gratitude is a great thing to always have with you. Make a gratitude list. Put it in your phone. Write the journal. Start your day with it. Every day we end at our bedtime with asking our kids, what's one thing that you saw God do in your life today? How do you just thank God for good things? And they're not looking for some like spiritual wild thing. They're like, God, thank you for pancakes. Because it's good. Because we have the ability to have pancakes today. And that gratitude helps me remember that the world is a better place than sometimes that I think that it is. And that God is a part of the goodness of it because that's the thing that God put into the fabric of the universe. We've been telling the story too long that the story was bad news. That somehow the story that we're living is fatalistic because some people in a garden sometime a long time ago who clearly didn't have belly buttons, process it one on your own, they made choices that have affected us for the rest of history. No, that's called fatalism, and that is not Orthodox Christianity through the history of time. Go to one of the early church fathers, Irenaeus. You know how they talk about that story? Oh, that's just a story of like either kids who needed to grow up or adolescents who didn't grow up yet. That's it. The ancient Jews thought about that story as a story of Babylonian captivity where they had a God who was coming in and creating a better world than the world of slavery that they were living in. We have all these other current contemporary versions of that story that leave us feeling like there's some fatalistic version of life in which there's always something wrong with us, in which we are somehow inherently bad, and that this story is God keeps saving us from that thing because we just keep messing up. That is not the story. The story is that you are good. And the isms come in, we come in, addictions come in, life comes in, hurt people hurt people, and sometimes we need a God who's bigger than us to help us clean up some of that mess. And one of the best ways that God does that is God shows up in the big ways when we need it, but even more than that, and this is the proactivity that Jesus was constantly in, God wants to create a world where God doesn't have to step in, where we treat each other well, in kind, with gentleness. We take care of one another's needs that we're not waiting on politics to do everything from, for us because we as the body of Christ are taking care of needs in this world. That's, we can control our corner of the world. And that's what God invites us into. So maybe it's gratitude that you're gonna remember. Maybe it's worship. I, I believe that something really powerful is happening in this space and we've just been talking about it that so many of us for the longest time, just music just triggered us. Worship music represented something that was really painful for us. And I see right now in this space that more people are like, yeah, but it's also really good and beautiful. And I want to reclaim it again. It doesn't have to be that over here, there. It can be this here and it can be good. I'm not going to give them the power to take good things away from me. We're going to reclaim these things in a way that's good and beautiful for everyone to participate in. A clappy church is a happy church. It's just true, I don't know why. Maybe it's prayer. Maybe for some of you, you're just like, ah, I just haven't done it in a while. I have this conversation all the time. I was telling my sister-in-law who's in town, I was saying that, you know, 10 years ago when I started New Abbey, the conversation that I had with everybody, this is like before podcast books, before you had ever, ever even heard of Richard Rohr before, right? People like invite me to like a beer in a side room and be like, is it true that hell's not real? because they had just read Love Wins or something like that, and that's the angst that they had about the world that was just the beginning of deconstruction. 
And for me, people, you have so much access to good stuff and podcasts and books, and you're figuring out stuff on your own. And the questions that people have now are much more about reconstruction of, to be honest, I'm back in this place, even though I've hurt trauma, just because I know that these things can be good for me. And I want to pray again, and I want to experience God, and I want to encounter God, because I think it's the best thing for my humanity. I haven't prayed in like five years, what can I do? And it's always simple stuff of like, maybe you just say that to God. I don't know what to say. Thanks, but I'm here. Great start, move on, next day. Just start simple and work your way back to things, but don't throw these things away. Keep remembering the good ways that God showed up for you. For the Israelites, God freed them from a land of slavery. God freed them from a Pharaoh. I would imagine that in all of our own lives, we have been lands of oppression, metaphorically, some very literally. And I would also imagine that many of us have been slaves to things. Sex addicts for 15 years of my life, and it feels good to be freed from things. I think, you know, I'm gonna say yes. It's always weird. Have you ever been in a 12-step room because you have to keep saying the thing, hi, I'm Corey, I'm a sex addict, you keep saying it forever and ever and ever. But sometimes you're like, but that's not really a thing in my life anymore. Anyway, side note, commercial break. We'll get back to it later. I'll talk to my sponsor about it. Point being, there are things in your life that you wanna be freed from. There are repressors in your life that have been real and that you want to be liberated in a new way. So keep remembering. What I love about the show Ted Lasso is that Ted comes in and that he empowers everybody to remember a deeper truth about themselves. Doesn't matter if it's Jamie Tart or Roy, oi, right? Doesn't matter if it's Keely, doesn't matter if it's Rebecca, doesn't matter if it's Sam, doesn't matter if it's Nate. Talk about character transformation in two seasons there. Ooh, when he spits in that mirror, help me Jesus. But when Ted originally comes in, he leads everybody to a bigger narrative of themselves. He's constantly empowering them to remember a deeper truth. That's the believe sign in the locker room. It gets them to believe in something beyond them. We come into this place so that we can believe and remember something bigger than ourselves. And isn't that what you want? If you're the biggest story in the universe, what a weird universe. And yet you are a part of this big story and that we're all part of it. That we're not minimizing or dismissing or demeaning it. That we're living in the both and of those realities. That I am the most important in my universe because it's my movie that's going on up here. And there should be more beyond me and I need God to liberate and save in ways that I cannot. And so if we can remember, then we can also take on some responsibility. That all of the commandments that are going on here are really about that. That we as the people of God take on a different responsibility for how we live into the world. Richard Rohr says it this way, you got to clean up and then you got to grow up and then you got to show up. That we all need to clean up from something sometimes because either just bad habits, bad nature, bad nurture. It doesn't mean all evil things. Sometimes you're just like, I just want to communicate differently than my parents, right? I'm going to clean up in some ways in my life, and then I'm going to grow up because we all know the Peter Pans in our lives who haven't grown up, and it makes the world more difficult. That we want to grow. Hell yeah, you can say it. It's real. It's exhausting. And none of us want to be that person. We want to grow up. I don't want to blame everyone over here for all of my woes. Some of us in this room are real victims, but if we live in victimhood forever, we will not grow up. We will just keep burning the house down over here and not rebuilding the world that we want over here. And I say it all the time, be angry about that, be mad about that, there's a lot of things, whatever those things are that might not be working for you individually or systematically. But at some point, you must rebuild the house. And we're going to focus on rebuilding around here. And we're going to rebuild by taking some responsibility for our lives. And I love the last part of what Richard Rohr is saying there, which is show up. 
Sometimes when we spend all of our time cleaning up and we're not growing up, we miss our lives because we haven't showed up. It's the old school saying, you might not be sleeping, but you're not awake. And we want to live in a way in which we're awake, in which we get to take in the goodness of life. And it's not all sexy. Life is not the bachelor or bachelorette, people. You are not, I know, I know, it was disappointing. I know we want to be on helicopters at the top of a mountain at a five-star restaurant. And I say this in here all the time. Some of the sexiest parts of my marriage after 16 years is just going to Trader Joe's in the middle of the day when all of the kids are at school. Amen. But what that represents is a lot of commitment, a lot of repair, a lot of health, a lot of intimacy. And that creates space to go to Trader Joe's on a Tuesday when all the kids are at school. And that's what we want. We want to take responsibility for our lives so that we can actually get the things that we want. We want to show up to the lives that we have here. You can't have it all and you can't have it all at once. So we're going to pick some things now. And so the way that you do that is you get into specifics. Pick one thing, one area of your life that you want to clean up, grow up, or show up into. It doesn't have to be exhaustive. You don't need a list of 10 things. We've all made the list of 10 things in January. And by January 3rd, we're like, I forgot, right? Or January 21st happens. Or, I mean, in January 2021, you made all this list going into the new year. We're like, 2020, that year's over. We got new things. And then there was an insurrection. And we're like, all right, 2022, here we come. So <laughs> you get it. Sometimes life gets in your way, but you got to make some choices to keep showing up and to cleaning up and to growing up so that you can be present for your actual life. And when you get into some specifics, then you'll also get into some self-awareness. Self-awareness happens in multiple ways. And this is part of what's going on in this Ten Commandments list. It's asking you to take responsibility, and then there's a communal awareness of what's going on here. Sometimes the fundamentalism of liberalism right now, which many of us participate in, right? I've spent years knocking on conservatism, and I'm tired of it, right? Now I'm tired of my own people, right? You can clap for that. Because sometimes in the, the fundamentalism of, of liberalism at the moment, we, I completely forgot where I was going with that, to be honest. I had like a really good point there. And then liberalism, fundamentalism, what are we doing there? Awareness. Awareness. Self-awareness. Thank you. Thank you. Thank God for people. And that's my point, is that we need other people in our lives. That is actually my point. Yes. We become so focused on me and what I need that we forget about everybody else. And sometimes there's powerful lessons to be learned over here, like showing up for other people, right? If you want service or to build an army, go to some, go to some conservatives. They're going to show up for you. If you want some of that in the liberal world, be like, nah, I'm good. And I think there's an opportunity for us to grow up there. Part of the reason for that is that we need to spend time on self-care and healing, but then we also need to spend some time on self-awareness and showing up to some things. And when we do both of those things, our lives are going to be better. And we do that because we invite other people into our lives. We do that because we live in a rigorous and robust community where we have healthy and good relationships and other people have the ability to speak into our lives and we have the ability to speak into their lives. So that now, remembering is just not on me, right? Remembering is now a corporate thing in which we do it together and we're reminded at times in this world of self-awareness, oh, that I need other people's help and there's a bigger story out there that's beyond me. There's a woman who wrote a book. Her name's Esther Wazowski, and she has three daughters. And her daughters are the CEO of YouTube, the CEO and founder of 23andMe, and the other is a lead pediatric doctor at the University of California, San Francisco. I would like to say she did a good job. <laughs> and she writes a book, How to Raise Successful Kids, and she like, admits it in there. She's like, to be honest, I was just kind of like a, a grumpy Jewish mom, but here's what I taught them. And she says, I really taught them autonomy. 
I taught them the power of responsibility. She taught them the things that are in the book of Exodus. She didn't keep the story in some version of evangelicalism where you're constantly bad and you just need more Savior, more Savior, more Savior, but you never grow up because you just want God to keep sprinkling pixie dust on you. She moved the story of, we'll always remember the person who liberated us, but now we got to go educate ourselves and grow up in a different way because we have some gifts to offer the world. And we want to grow up. We want our own autonomy and independence in our lives. And that we want to educate and become better followers of Jesus so that we can change the world. We want to be empowered. You want a God who empowers you. You don't want a God who has like a weird ego and it's just like, worship me. You worship this God because this God is good. You don't worship this God because this God has insecurity issues. We need to switch the narrative there. And so when we grow up, we're like, oh my gosh, you are good. You showed up in my life, God, and now I want to show up in my own life. And I want to create a world for all those little voices that we hear out there, that they live in a place in Los Angeles that is free and bigger and better than ours. I want to live in a world where they have less to unlearn about Jesus. I want to live in a world where the isms of the world don't control us. I want to live in the world where we talk about everything, where we don't not talk about these issues and then do talk about these issues, where no one taught us about sex and money and they're like, good job figuring it out. No, we want to be in a church that talks about these things because it's so much of what it means to be human. I want to live in a world that teaches me about my body. I want to live in a world that teaches me about my wallet. I want to live in a world that teaches us about systems. I want to live in a world where we grow up. And I want to live in a world where we show up in bigger ways because it's a good world. And it's not all for us. It's for others that are coming. And so I want to end with one story of empowering. The F word. My middle son comes home one day last year and says to me, um, Dad, somebody told me the F word in school today. I said, okay. He's in first grade. I said, well, what was that word? He might say frog. I don't know what he's going to say. Right? He's like, well, I don't want to say it, so I'm going to spell it for you. F-U-C-K. Thick. First of all, learn your vowels. Second of all, then his older brother like, looks up from the table. He's like, that's not what that word is. I'm like, whoa. I'm like, yeah, fix a word. It's a bad one. And he's like, is it a bad word, Dad? And I said, well, do you know what the word means? He's like, no. I said, well, that's the thing about words, is that words are powerful. And sometimes that word can be used to hurt people. And not always. But if you don't know what it means, then maybe you shouldn't use it. And he said, okay, that seems reasonable. And he's never said it again. What I didn't do is give him a list of do's and don'ts. Because if I did that, we'd be saying thick all the time, people. <laughs> thick you. Instead... He was empowered to make a choice for himself of saying, oh, I grew up in a house of kindness and gentleness. And I would never want to use that word to hurt somebody else. So if I don't know what it is, then I don't need to use it. It's a simple moment of growing up, but I think it's a moment that we can all relate to in some way. That maybe there's some things we just need to let go of that actually aren't serving us that well. And let's live into a different world of empowerment where we remember what God has done in our lives and we take responsibility for who we are. Would you get into those same groups and answer this question with those same people? Where do you want to remember God and or take responsibility for your life?
Thanks for listening to the New Abbey podcast. For more information, visit us on the web at www.newabbey.org.